everyone, before we get going, just a reminder that Welcome to the Party Pal is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com to check out a spectacular grouping of podcasts that we are extremely honored to coexist with. That's OsirisPod.com. I'd love to point you to a specific episode of one of those podcasts entitled The Road to Now, which is hosted by Dr. Ben Sawyer and Bob Crawford, two extremely knowledgeable and wonderful human beings. In an episode entitled I Can't Breathe, Surviving the Dual Pandemics of Racism and COVID-19, Ben and Bob turn the microphone over to Middle Tennessee State University historian, Dr. Lewis Woods, who speaks with experts in multiple fields to examine how the sudden shock of the COVID-19 pandemic has illuminated a centuries-old pandemic of racism in Western culture and particularly in the United States. It's truly an important episode, eye-open and thought-provoking. I could not recommend it more. Again, that podcast is called The Road to Now, part of the Osiris Media Group. Now let's get this party started. Michael Shield. Today, we are here to break down and explore the themes and ideas within the Five Bloods, the latest Spike Lee joint uh, war drama that follows a group of aging Vietnam War veterans who return to the country in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader, as well as a treasure they buried while serving time over there. It features a remarkable cast, as we will explore in this uh, episode, and um it's rife with historical perspectives and lessons. Uh, I have with me today a uh, film historian and a member of the Welcome to the Party Pal team, uh, Christian Needham. So Christian, welcome to the Party Pal. Do you want to um, lead us off here and tell us uh, um, some of your opening thoughts about this film? Sure. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the, the Five Bloods, it's, it's really one of my favorite remakes I've seen in the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, I really look at it on it on the merit of being kind of uh, a remake of the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it's a lot of that, a lot of different movies uh, references that Spike Lee makes throughout. But I think that's the strongest one, the most recurring one, and the most overt. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. 
yeah, I think it's really, uh, really effective uh, at reframing a, a story in a different setting, but still keeping all the, the different elements of it. And uh, that's that's really the the way that I viewed it um, my first time my first time through. Um, difference being, I think the the number of leads that you have, um, the five the five ex soldiers, and as well as a growing yeah. cast of other people who both family and and other people that they they come across. But um, yeah, I think it's it's one of the more effective. Um, one of the more effective remakes I've seen in a while, and uh, yeah, I think Delroy Lindo at, in the uh, Humphrey Bogart ish role um, mm. really really mm. knocks it out and really carries the film almost to I'd say the, the detriment of uh, the other the strength of the other parts because it's so overwhelming mm. as a as a character and so complicated. Um, but uh, yeah. the evolution of that story is is really great, and it was also on the sideline as well. Um, is something that I've noticed both in this movie and, and in Black Klansman, um, Spike Lee's mm-hmm. previous film. Um, yep. Some great casting, but also um, bringing back a lot of the um, some of the, the the more memorable cast elements from The Wire um, to, to yes. as two of the leads, especially Clark Peters, who's pretty much has mm-hmm. the 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 second the second most importance, I think, among the yeah. five and. Again, is yep. and screen time. Yeah. yeah, and Isaiah Whitlock, of yep. course, who even gets to say his catchphrase somewhere uh, is his wire corrupt congressman yeah. uh, catchphrase. Some some amazing uh, fan service to wire fans there when we got our she. Yeah, I, I was I, absolutely that was, that put a smile on my face. <laughs> I didn't think they were actually going to go through with it because it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, but the, it's a it's a it, it's a bit on the nose. I really do. Uh, appreciate the lens in which you look at that film as a remake and uh, because there are um, nods to a lot of films um, uh, Apocalypse Now being one with the river journey, the river trip and even as it departs they uh, um, on that river journey they play Ride of the Valkyries and there's, the, there's a, a party in a club themed um, to Apocalypse Now but um, um, the, the, the it was, it's much more overt and and there's actually lines that are that are used in in that film. Um, to me, just to kind of open up where where I thought about it, I thought it was a very interesting. Um, it was a compelling way to kind of cross timelines, so to speak, and and um, you know further kind of wake uh, some people up to to how much has has not changed um, since the 1960s. It was a very powerful opening to the film, I thought, where we saw montages of black soldiers at war with um, kind of cross-cut with clips of activists like um, Malcolm X and Angela Davis. And then, you know, we also saw athletes protesting. Um, I, I found that just very powerful because, I mean, in, in this, the, the, the film is so timely to this moment where the, you know, black lives... Um, uh, matter movement is so powerful and important in this country to to have this film kind of surface at this time. I know it wasn't supposed to be out at this moment, but it just it, it speaks to this moment in a major way. Even in the beginning, um, you know, we, we, many many of us do uh, out there on the streets. You know, we 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 chant say their names and, and we say their names. He says their names in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. He's he's actually you can actually see on the screen names of people who were killed and. 
in, uh, in Ohio, in Vietnam, and, and beyond. It was just really, um, it's just, it's such a timely film to me. And it, it, it really made me think about, um, you know, how history is just, it's it just, the, we haven't come as far as, as I believe many think we have. Yeah, and I, I think that the character the, of black awareness for those guys when they're on, on the field is Chadwick Boseman. And he's kind of, which is ironic that they got the guy who's Black Panther to be the this kind mm-hmm. of uh, lingering, their, this lingering spectral presence of their um, deceased um, c- comrade who they looked at as their, their yeah. Malcolm X. Um, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, he kind of is, uh, he reminded me of Elias from Platoon, which is the Willem Dafoe character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who has... Who's a, has a great impression on these young soldiers as they as they come up? I think something that's yep. important to that as well is the way that Lee has the older actors play the, their younger selves um, on the on the field yeah, in the flashbacks in the sixties. Yeah. yeah, what did you think of that? I thought it was really effective. I'd not seen that before. Me too. And I yep. the way I looked at it was that it's kind of tough to ever um, see yourself. Beyond, beyond what you are now. I like to try to picture yourself yeah. as a younger person. And yet Bozeman is, mm-hmm. is forever young because he's how that's how they remember him. Um, when he that's died, where, he's frozen. That, yeah, when he, when he passed, exactly. I, I felt the same way. I was actually, um, I, was, I knew that was the case when I was going in to watch it. And uh, I appreciated not only because I just love this cast and it was fun to see th- uh, them, you know, in those former roles. But, you know, there is kind of a, um, you know, you have to, allow yourself to to I don't know I, I guess conversely you look at what was done um, recently with De Niro and um, and just you know how they they used uh, they used some of that de-aging um, technology and you know for, for you know I, I, I think some people thought it was great I, I, I kind of had a hard time with it but I thought I thought this was great and I, I really you know uh, I, you know what, those scenes, it's, I, I hate to dwell on anything, but those scenes uh, in the 1960s, um, they were shot on a 16-millimeter film and something uh, he, I, I know Spike had to press Netflix on. And, um, you know, each time when the uh, screen closed in, I mean, I got to tell you, I did miss uh, the cinema a whole lot. I would have loved to see some of these um, um Especially those segments on a, on a bigger screen, I thought they were beautifully shot, and and uh, I love that he did shoot them in sixteen millimeter. Yeah, I do too. And one, the guy that was behind the lens for that was Newton Thomas Siegel, um, yep. who also yep. shot another movie. I think that kind of looms over this, which is Three Kings, and that's yeah. you know, oh yeah, and that's something that's really kind of story wise is is the idea of going going back and getting this gold, but who deserves quote-unquote deserves this gold and um that's something that again is is a big part of three kings and and the idea of of the fog of war and opportunism but at the same time Mm -hmm. you know the 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 years later the price that's paid i think that's a that's a good con um uh contrast between those two films is the idea while that one takes place in the midst of it is a kelly hero kelly's heroes ish kind of opportunism kind of thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. this one is the idea of looking back on it years later and and still reevaluating that question as life as as normal life has taken its toll as well as war and and 
and on on that um, you know the, that an idea that parallels that too is just the overall corrupting power of money. I like there was was one line where. Um, uh, Clark Peters' character is Otis. I can't think of who um, his lover was in Vietnam, but as they're about to, to head off, she does say that gold does strange things to people, even old friends. And, you know, that was kind of a warning that resonated throughout their journey searching for this gold because, you know, you you knew that the, there was that potential to tear, tear these really, really old friends um, apart. Yeah. And their camaraderie, was incredibly special, and I think that goes back. I'd like to speak a little bit more on the cast because I was just, I was so, I was so taken uh, by it. One thing that was fun was that um, all five um, main characters they share the first name of members of the Temptations, and <laughs> uh, and also the, and also their producer uh, uh, of the Temptations was Norman Whitfield, and so that was Stormy Norman right. who was. Um, Chadwick Boseman's character, so that was I love that as a good nod, and you know there's so much um, good music throughout this thing, especially I would say one that really um, kind of lingers throughout is uh, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On" for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I mean, I know we mentioned Delroy Lindo, and that's honestly, and I know movies are, have been reduced. We you know there's not as many to compare at the moment, but I mean this is like it's. I, I, it might be the best performance I've seen um, in, I mean, this year or at least in months. I was, it was absolutely riveting. It was another one I saw. I recently watched 7500 um, as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Gordon, uh, um, and he was incredible in that. That's another performance that kind of took me. But Delroy was incredible. I love Clark Peters. Um, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., incredible too. Norm Lewis was great, but also another one, Jonathan Majors played David um, in one of uh, my favorite films of last year was Last uh, Black Man in San Francisco, mm. and that was uh, uh, he had a big role in that. So this cast was stunning. They they it was it was their camaraderie um, more than anything to me that that kind of bound the film and 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 propelled things as as they move forward. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that to a point. I think it's. It, sure. I think Lee probably knew going in that in terms of the number of people, number of speaking parts, and the number of people that he had to balance out there, it wasn't going to be as tight um, of a narrative stylistically as um, uh, Sierra Madre. And again, that's just that's just yep. one. That's more of a. I don't know if. if of a spiritual, a spiritual um, remake, and yeah, in that yeah, sense, it's not, it's not a true remake. Right. So I'll, I'll say it that yeah. way. But one of the, the reasons that that one worked is because because of the three pointed um, com, um, contrast between the characters there. And I think he does. I think Lee does make it a, and does make a point of trying to um, hack out. Um, contrasts between these characters in terms of their motivations yep. and, and stuff, especially um, by the time it gets to deciding what to do. Some again, spoilers. Some of those those comrades have dropped away, and so it becomes yeah. more of a more of a, a finite um, thing. Um, something else I, I I liked about it was um, it remind, and again, this reminds me of, of Apocalypse Now too. Is integrating mm-hmm. the idea of um, the history, the quote unquote refighting of the, of the Vietnam War by including um, of the French mine mine hunters, uh, yeah. as well yep. as as uh, their their guide, who's the son of a son of a South Vietnamese who was kind of left behind, 
by the Americans when they left. And then, of course, you know, the, the North Vietnamese heirs that, that are um, hunting them and that they're going against. And, of course, Sean Renault um, popping up as well in terms of that. I think that the idea yeah. of, like, that kind of almost, yep. for me, replaced the, the three-pointed side, which is the idea of the French... American and Vietnamese mm-hmm. and the complications within all of those because it seems to be there's yep. there's there's fraught contrast between all three of those those points and different motivations that are that he tries to address that, that do definitely pop up and um, but just going back to your original point I think Lindo's uh, performance is something that I'd, I'd be shocked if, if it wasn't submitted if that's like their driving force at award season to try to get him on yep. it on that because it's mm-hmm. um, it is so damn timely and uh, beyond you know even the idea of um, the make America great hat that that becomes kind of kind of the his um, his signal that gets more and more worn yeah. out and and and, yeah. and muddy, muddied <laughs> yes. over and re- reclaimed yep. by others and worn by others becomes so this signifier. I think that's something that's yep. it's it's not a the thing that's it's not a stunt it's it's a very le, uh, lived in kind of character where it, it needs that yeah. he needs that that motivation that brokenness that um the mm. that's that signifier of his own brokenness against his you know culture his uh, race is what um you know name name take your pick as as something that really pulls off. Um, pulls off how um, how effective he is in that and and the yeah. for me i think like again one one last thing with the sierra madre contrast is that at the end of that film yeah. um sees bogart um kind of delirious and making his way back on foot and and, and just uh, you know he's, he's in possession of this this wealth but it doesn't matter it's 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 because uh, he's still lost in a in a in a foreign land and probably going to die and that's there's the mo- there's a moment where where Lindo's the same way, and you know where he's um, essentially flat on his back looking up uh, at the, at a bag full of gold that he can't touch, and basically mm-hmm. has to walk away from it. And that kind of that kind yeah. of stuff, the depth of of, of that decision, um, you know, there's it's almost like it's it's the entire film leading up to that it feels earned it's not something like that yep. the the plot requires of him just because oh we have to separate mm-hmm. him from this thing um it's really great and one more thing about that is is the stylistic flourishes that have um or signifiers that, that lee's done over the course of his career with regard to mm-hmm. the handheld camera work um characters yep. breaking the fourth wall um a couple of great uh great monologues by Lindo to to the camera um, about about yeah. his motivations um, that double as him talking to those who are absent his now friends. and stuff exactly yeah. so oh yeah yeah so yeah. I think it's it's really um, it's like I said before it's it's so good that it's it's almost to the detriment of the rest of of the cast because it draws the viewer mm-hmm. in so much toward him um, that you yep. need you need it, it unbalances to a certain degree, um, mm-hmm. not not to yeah. not not irreparably, but it, it's it's notable. Mm-hmm. Not irreparably, I agree. I agree. No, it, it's it's. I mean, definitely because if you look at it, it's more of an ensemble. Um, which you know, going into it, that's what I thought we'd be looking at. But you're actually absolutely right that that the the um, the scale got tipped that way. And just comp- contemplation of everything we're talking about it here, it does. This is a lot. 
there's a lot going on. I mean, we've mentioned all the alludes to other films, all these different character motivations, all these different stylistic choices by Lee. And I've seen, I have seen that as, um, as a criticism, and, 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 which I do get. You know, there's so much going on that it's, it's, it almost feels like a patchwork instead of, you know, one, one flowing sheet on its own. But um, I don't know. It, to me, I appreciate so, so much of that and, and, and so much of what he was saying throughout. I mean, and one thing I really do appreciate is all the, um, uh, you know, the, the history lessons littered throughout. I mean, you know, just early in the film, uh, we learned about Chris, uh, Crispus Attucks, and he is the first person killed in the Boston Massacre, which means he was the um, uh, uh, first person killed in the whole revolution. Yeah. And, you know, he, he you know, I, I don't think he's taught uh, uh, much in uh, history books. Um, you know, we also, um, you know, Tommy Smith and John Carlos are brought up early. They, uh, you know, they were known for the Black Power salute in the 68 Olympics. Um, I'm just trying to think. There was, there was oh, the, obviously the um, Morehouse uh, sprinter. His name was Edwin Moses. Mm. Um, there was that scene where they were, there was the, the mine and, and they, you know, the, the um, uh, Delroy's uh, son, Paul's son, David's foot was on the mine and he, and he tells him to fly like the sprinter and Edwin Moses, he won gold in the, 400 meter hurdles I think it was 76 and 84 but I just I really appreciated um, all these nods to history and 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 you know too many uh, people in history that just aren't um, you know kind of know on the tip of, of most Americans uh, consciousness yeah and I, th- I think that's that may be after kind of having a chance to think about the film after I'd seen it my favorite part of what he does of what yeah, Lee does I agree there's yep. a there's a theme in here uh, and about the there's a the reason for I think that he um, Lee includes a lot of these uh, true to history bio um, docu documentary biographical elements is to remind mm-hmm. an audience that has grown up from multiple generations watching war films as their impression of what those soldiers who soldiers were and what what their their uh-huh. kind of core feeling of 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 the experience of war was so he intersperses these these instances of both you know on the home front culture black culture um anti-war culture um revolutionary war roots of american idea of dying for the country kind of stuff with these recurrent film um Film illusions for some of the most famous yeah. things, and so again, interspersed with all those those things that you mentioned, are allusions to Apocalypse Now, of allusions to yep. Rambo, uh, and um, there's mm-hmm. someone who who actually overtly comments on the Rambo films as as you know Hollywood trying to go back and and win the Vietnam War, um, which is absolutely true. Those that and the, and the yeah. uh, Missing in Action films with Chuck Norris. They they mention mm-hmm. those specifically. There's allusions to the bridge over the river over the river Kwai. Um, someone quotes the the lines "madness, madness," which are the the, the last words yeah. of that film yeah. when the bridge when the yeah. bridge blows. Of course, there's allusions to Platoon and Three Kings, and I think these are mm-hmm. all those allusions are are to one degree or another made um, overt in the dialogue or the visuals. Um, to contrast with with the other documentary kind of style 
clips that um, he slips in because people are soldiers as, as much as the rest of us are susceptible to um, those kind of strong, whether you want to call them propaganda or artistic renderings mm-hmm. or romanticized mm-hmm. views, whatever it is. And then yeah. on top of that, I think you nailed all those. Absolutely. Yeah. On top of that, he takes a nod to the other side of that too, which was how this stuff is used strategically against against Americans, which is this recurring mm-hmm. appearance of the Hon- Hanoi Hanna character, who was this mm-hmm. radio broadcaster who who um, would report um, on the um, unrest and and rioting and demonstrations and and you know the death of, of Martin Luther King when none of the rest of the of the the GI network of radio was reporting yeah. on that. And it wasn't um, that I mean that and that is actually uh, her real name, the real name of the uh, uh, reporter who was doing that. And yes, she was uh, reporting when when no one else was, but her job was to um, demoralize the troops. Yeah. And just I mean she she ended up announcing um, MLK's assassinate, assassination. Uh, to the troops, and you could really think about what that would mean to black soldiers fighting over there, thinking about you know how you know who who does their country care about, and do they care about them and I just think that's that's that 's a really fascinating piece of war history I'm, It made me think of um in the beginning of uh the Watchmen series, they show the leaflets dropping on black soldiers in um, um, World War two I believe one of the world wars. I, I apologize. I forget exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't. I want to revisit that series, but it was aimed at black soldiers to discuss, um, you know, a lot of different facts about what's happening in America, and just, you know, that, you know, to to point out that that maybe your country doesn't care about you, and, and why would you be here fighting? So I loved that she was included in that as well. You mentioned um, the Rambo mention. Yeah. Um, they actually go so far as to offer an alternative to Rambo, like someone, a, a true hero that, that especially would be um, someone that the black community would be really proud to see in that role, and that was Milton L. Olive III, and he, um, he, he was known for dying heroically by jumping on a gr- uh, grenade to protect his platoon, and he's a real-life person that they mentioned that you know, would, could be their Rambo. And that made me think of, um, it, it seemed like there was a callback immediately in the film when um, uh, at the end, Melvin he dies he dies heroically by jumping on a grenade, mm-hmm. and I, I just can't help but thinking those two are completely completely related. And, um, and one other thing about that yeah. too, if I may, is that yeah. all the deaths in the film hey. are kind of symbolic in themselves of the main characters. They yeah. they invoke all the different ways that all the different um, ways that GIs. Um, died in the in the war, whether it was by intentional sure. gunfire, capture, accidental gunfire, mines, mm-hmm. um, every yep. single one down down the line. Yep. It was very very. Uh, That's a great point. I, you know what? I didn't even think of that. You're right. Absolutely, every single one was different ways in which they they their lives were taken over there. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it really it really so cool. kind of speaks to that to that stuff, but always calling back to the real world. On on calling yeah. only calling out the, the real um, real soldiers that um, that fought and that were for the majority of if not for films like this are probably unknown to the majority of of Americans that would be watching this. 
Absolutely. One, um, you know, I mentioned the history lessons and things that, that, that are there to be learned. Um, I mean, there was even statistics. I mean, it was mentioned, and this kind of blew my mind. I, 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 I knew the number was, was pretty extreme, but I mean, it was, it was mentioned that 11% of the U.S., you know, uh, wait, it's black people make up uh, 11% of the U.S. population, um, and I'm pretty sure that, but it's 32% of soldiers in Vietnam were black. That is just mind blowing, yeah. and it it real it really really um, you know it just it just opened my eyes even even further to to some of these disparities, and uh, you know it's I I always think about this, and I know I know we're living in some really extreme times, and you know it's it's we're who knows how we'll be able to place what we're we're all going through here, um, you know, through the lens of looking back and hindsight and everything, but. People always say, uh, I hear so often people saying, you know, these are the craziest of times. I look back at the 60s with the, with the Vietnam War and all the protesting and everything going on there. And I think about the fact that, I mean, so many of the leaders of the time were flat out being assassinated, something we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it's anyone, anyone who lived through that period um, it must, you know, I, I, they, they would be able to speak on it better. But, wow, the, the, these were just just wild wild times and it just you know i think i think we all get caught up in our own time and just our own you know lifespan and just how unique our life experience is but man it, this is this is a wild wild period in american history it is and i think it's one that you know especially if you if, for for this generation that has the opportunity um to revisit in so many at, technological forms, let's say, um, mm-hmm. the lessons of the past, while a lot of those folks who live through it are kind of reaching the end of their life, but are still around enough to tell them about it. It's a valuable point yes. in history to um, learn lessons from that, um, especially the idea of um, these guys being, uh, these men and, and women being, uh, who, who are leading these, these various, various movements and um, being killed. And I think yep. specifically, again, going back to Storm and Norman's death, um, the the person that he evokes for me the most is um, Malcolm X. But I think he's meant to be a kind of a mix of, of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X in terms of at various points yeah. in both of those. Is that, um, yeah, there's the, both ideologies are definitely represented at times. And the way he dies uh, by the hand of you know, someone in his own platoon is also very telling as yeah. well. The idea that, you know, um, both leaders were, were killed by, by gunfire, um, one by a white man, one, one by a black man. And the idea that the, I, that it, that their loss resonated, um, with, with the one with, with obviously the black community, but now, as we're seeing today, the idea of Black Lives Matter, um, so many young white people, um, and of all ages, I'll say, obviously, yep. um, marching on behalf of, of the rights of, of black folks. That that's, that kind of mm-hmm. um, was one thing that, that um, I think about as well. Um, the lessons of the 1960s uh, um, and the, the deaths of, of so many, and that includes, you know, Robert Kennedy and John Kennedy, and yep. uh, but but yes, also exactly that's what I was speaking on with with all the le- leaders across the board. Yeah. It's a, it's wild to think. But about, I think yeah. I think the idea of of 
the people that that those deaths impacted in the moment and then mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. what their legacies have been i think this is you know film films like this in in a way i think are trying to look at that on the american side um, but also on the vietnamese side and i think one of the most as an american i think one of the most one of the most interesting moments in the film is um, when they're on the boat ride, when they first get to um, to Saigon, I think it is. I think it's is it Hanoi or Saigon? I think they're in Saigon. When they're on the on the yeah. water for the day trip, and the guy tries to sell mm. Paul a chicken, and mm-hmm. it escalates very very quickly um, into this guy shouting at Paul that you know it's him and his friends are responsible for the deaths of his family, and that you know this mm-hmm. this stuff whatever their feelings about their own mistreatment at home, they have brought that mistreatment to others in, in Vietnam. Mm. And, you know, now that now the Vietnamese, uh, the, the, their, their children are having to live with, with the legacy of that. Um, I thought that that was really well, well done, um, too. And of all the characters that could have been, that could have been, um, you know, the brunt of that. I think it was well thought out that it was him. Um, and uh, yeah. I think that needs to be in there. Yeah. It's definitely for a lot of the, probably one of the more more uncomfortable scenes in the movie. But I think that's what makes mm-hmm. it so effective. Mm-hmm. Agreed, absolutely agreed. And we, you know, which it, I'm just you bringing up that other point right there, and and, and just kind of led me to think of another one, and just how many you know different ideas that that are um, you know attributed to the effects of war on whether the people uh, as a whole or people individually i mean you know ptsd is definitely kind of lingers over everything and and one point overtly when um because i mean we are talking about older soldiers going back and re-experiencing what has to be the greatest trauma of their life but there's that one point where the um uh, the young vietnamese kid sets off the fireworks and they all go jumping i mean it just it makes you think and makes you realize throughout their entire journey that they're there's a lot of scarring they're dealing with that's under the surface as well. And there's, there's a whole lot of baggage they're carrying with them, um, you know, from their journey from America back here. Um, uh, in this uh, film, this was, this was Spike's... Um, uh, it was just his most expensive film. He was given a budget of around $45 million, I believe. And, you know, that Netflix money, it's, it's pretty amazing how they... They, uh, you know, are able to give directors um, a lot of free reign and a lot of money to make their film. The, uh, it's also got to be pointed out that the original script was by Danny uh, Bilson and Paul uh, DeMeo, and it was titled The Last Tour, and Oliver Stone was actually uh, originally set to direct right. it. And it was going to be with, he, with uh, White G.I.s, right? I think it was it. It with White G.I.s, and so, you know, uh, Spike Lee... Um, and I can't remember the writer that uh, he worked on with Black Klansmen, but they they took it and rewrote it, rewrote it. And uh, and the only other thing I could think of that really I, I want to point out is the score by um, longtime Spike Lee collaborator uh, Terrence uh, Blanchard was just outstanding as well. The, the, the music choices were fantastic yeah. Uh, too. Yeah, I think it was. I think this is something that can really invigorate a lot of of directors. The, this this format and what they can. Um, they, the idea yep. of, of something like Netflix being able to give you that kind of um, that kind of budget to work with a mm-hmm. certain kind of film will will do it. I mean, this is obviously I've, this is kind of like obviously watching this in the shadow of um, 
you know, Scorsese's work, it's it's the idea that mm-hmm. giving these classic, not classic directors, but I mean, long, long time, you know, critically acclaimed directors, uh, a budget to yep. work with and, and an option in a world that doesn't necessarily, where theater, especially right now, currently is showing you the, the weaknesses physically in, in, in that is a, the number of films that are being held you know, held in stasis for who knows, maybe a year. Um, whereas yep. uh, this was able to be released and and have have an audience for it. Um, that's that's important. Um, I like the idea also that be, that with with that budget comes a certain type of filmmaking. There's not, despite the despite the fact that the Irishman had uh, you know this this age de aging um, stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a format that. For a lot of um, the stuff where it's going to be in a special effects-driven films, something where a lot of that stuff's yeah. going to have to be reliant, I think, on on technique and and script, and you know, it's there's a lot, there's a lot of a lot of um, people that want a piece of that uh, of the budget that, yeah. that Netflix can, can provide, and there's only <laughs> only so much money that can exactly. go around. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years, looking back on on the films that are coming out during this time. Um, how that was harnessed by these um, by these guys. It's interesting too. Also, at this the same time, seeing you know different streaming services taking different approaches to um, getting content from high end high end people. But yep. something I've always been impressed by what this is all leading up to. The reason, in a long winded way, is saying is that uh, Spike has <laughs> been very good over the last thirty five or so years of continuing to yep. work in a variety of formats. Um, whether it's features, especially documentaries, um, short films to this day, um, still does shorts, mm-hmm. TV series, there's um, or TV style series. There's a um, for a couple of years uh, a version of She's Got to Have It, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, oh yeah, and so all kinds of, of, of stuff that, that continues to be. And also the other thing that's interesting too is is dipping his his toes into the water of video games. And I think that's yeah. oh is yeah he? he he had involvement with 2K16. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if oh, that's cool. like intros, cutscenes, or what. But if you look through his CV, yep. it's it's insane. It's um, the guy mm-hmm. now. Whether it's it's he's heading up the project or what his level of involvement is, who knows? But I mean, at the same time, it seems like most of the stuff that I see with his name, it's a Spike Lee joint on it. It's very much his yeah. his baby. Um, but mm-hmm. I think this this is an excellent example of pulling together several of his disciplines into one. And I think his uh, growth as a document documentarian over the last 20 years really shows in, in terms of his, yeah, his uh, step-ups of this one. I recently saw him. I was at one of the last performances of David Byrne's um, Broadway show, uh, American Utopia. Yeah. And he was there uh, um, filming and directing and that's going to be coming out later this year which i could not recommend more i went multiple times mm. it was just it was it's a stunning stunning performance it's very it's deep it gets deep towards the end and it's, it's a lot of fun too but yeah he, he spike i mean you kind of bring it all home here um spike he it's clear um he has so much more to say and beyond that, it's clear that what he's been saying for so long is still so, so deeply relevant. And, and, and this film, I mean, it's, it's, it, it spans, I mean, we're talking 50 years now in so many of the issues that, that 
that it addresses are things that haven't been addressed that entire time. And, you know, it's you could see a, a lot of people, um, fortunately, waking up to the call, but unfortunately, not enough. And, and hopefully it's pieces of art like this that can kind of teach us about some of the history that that we need to know about, to you know, and, and face and actually look at and, and take responsibility for um, that's so important to moving forward, if you were to ask me. It's a great film. I'm, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it. It definitely um, contains easily one of the best performances of, uh, of the year um, by Lindo, who he's actually one of um, his other performances I love so much is in Crooklyn, uh, another Spike Lee joint. But this one, this one affected me deeply, and it made me think, and it, and it taught me some things, and I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Any uh, closing thoughts on your end? Yeah, my, for my money, I think I've, my favorite one is Clockers for him. I think, again, it's, yeah, it's, so it's good. another one where it's a twisted version of a, of a guy trying, um, who's uh, a twisted mentor role in, in that one, and I... I, I Mm-hmm. Kept thinking of that watching him in this one as well. Also, another one where yep. he wears, wears a baseball hat throughout. And uh, in terms of that <laughs> one, he's literally wearing the man in the black hat in that one. And in this one, he's yeah. wearing the, yeah. the, the the red hat. Man and the red hat. And yeah, um, yeah I, I think giving work to, in terms of realizing his, his art, um, Lee really giving um, great roles to actors who are, um, all of them are in their late 60s um, and are mm-hmm. still still very much um, you know challenging the idea of not just giving them roles but challenging them it's a very physical film yep. and the idea of um, absolutely is giving them a chance to have range and to you know shoot on location that's the kind of stuff I, I'd love to see more of and I'm glad that the, there's top notch filmmakers like Lee that are still doing that mm-hmm. absolutely so uh Christian, I love talking film with you. Your encyclopedic knowledge of uh, movies always, always amazes. So uh, thank you for taking the time. I really, really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thank you, everyone out there, for joining the party once again. Oh,